Section 33 of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Friday, March 23, 1906. Some curious letter superscriptions which have come to Mr. Clemens. Our inefficient postal system under Postmaster General Key. Reminiscences of Mrs. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Story of Reverend Charlie Stowe's Little Boy. A good many years ago Mrs. Clemens used to keep as curiosities some of the odd and strange superscriptions that decorated letters that came to me from strangers in out-of-the-way corners of the earth. One of these superscriptions was the work of Dr. John Brown, and the letter must have been the first one he wrote me after we came home from Europe in August or September 74. Evidently the doctor was guessing at our address from memory, for he made an amusing mess of it. The superscription was as follows. Mr. S. L. Clemens, Mark Twain, Hartford, New York, near Boston, USA. Now, then comes a fact which is almost incredible to it, the New York Post Office, which did not contain a single salaried idiot who could not have stated promptly who the letter was for and to what town it should go, actually sent that letter to a wee little hamlet hidden away in the remoteness of the vast state of New York. For what reason? Because that lost and never previously heard of Hamlet was named Hartford. The letter was returned to the New York Post Office from that Hamlet. It was returned innocent of the suggestion, try Hartford, Connecticut, although the Hamlet's postmaster knew quite well that that was the Hartford the writer of the letter was seeking. Then the New York Post Office opened the envelope, got Dr. John's address out of it, then enclosed it in a fresh envelope, and sent it back to Edinburgh. Dr. John then got my address from Menzies, the publisher, and sent the letter to me again. He also enclosed the former envelope, the one that had had the adventures, and his anger at our postal system was like the fury of an angel. He came the nearest to being bitter and offensive than ever he came in his life, I suppose. He said that in Great Britain it was the postal department's boast that by no ingenuity could a man so disguise and conceal a Smith or a Jones or a Robinson in a letter address that the department couldn't find that man, whereas then he let fly at our system, which was apparently designed to defeat a letter's attempts to get to its destination when humanly possible. Dr. John was right about our department at that time, but that time did not last long. I think Postmaster General Key was in office then. 
he was a new broom, and he did some astonishing sweeping for a while. He made some cast-iron rules, which worked great havoc with the nation's correspondence. It did not occur to him, rational things seldom occurred to him, that there were several millions of people among us who seldom wrote letters, who were utterly ignorant of postal rules, and who were quite sure to make blunders in writing letter addresses whenever blunders were possible, and that it was the government's business to do the very best it could by the letters of these innocents, and help them get to their destinations, instead of inventing ways to block the road. Key suddenly issued some boiler-iron rules. One of them was that a letter must go to the place named on the envelope, and the effort to find its man must stop there. He must not be searched for. If he wasn't at the place indicated, the letter must be returned to the sender. In the case of Dr. John's letter, the post office had a wide discretion, not so very wide either. It must go to a Hartford. That Hartford must be near Boston. It must also be in the state of New York. It went to the Hartford that was farthest from Boston, but it filled the requirement of being in the state of New York, and it got defeated. Another rule, instituted by Key, was that letter superscription could not end with Philadelphia, or Chicago, or San Francisco, or Boston, or New York, but in every case must add the state, or go to the dead-letter office. Also, you could not say New York, N.Y., you must add the word city to the first New York, or the letter must go to the dead-letter office. During the first thirty days of the dominion of this singular rule, sixteen hundred thousand tons of letters, more or less, went to the dead-letter office from the New York post office alone. The dead-letter office could not contain them, and they had to be stacked up outside the building. There was not room outside the building inside the city, so they were formed into a rampart around the city, and if they had had it there during the Civil War, we should not have had so much trouble and uneasiness about an invasion of Washington by the Confederate armies. They could neither have climbed over or under that breastwork, nor bored nor blasted through it. Mr. Key was soon brought to a more rational frame of mind. Then a letter arrived for me enclosed in a fresh envelope. It was from a village priest in Bohemia, or Galicia, and was boldly addressed, Mark Twain, somewhere. It had traveled over several European countries. It had met with hospitality and with every possible assistance during its wide journey. 
it was ringed all over on both sides with a chain-mail mesh of postmarks there were nineteen of them altogether and one of them was a new york postmark the postal hospitalities had ceased at new york within three hours and a half of my home there the letter had been opened the priest's address ascertained and the letter had then been returned to him as in the case of dr john brown among mrs clemens collection of odd addresses was one on a letter from australia worded thus mark twain god knows where that superscription was noted by newspapers note this letter was originally mailed in new york by brander matthews and francis wilson newspapers here and there and yonder while it was on its travels and doubtless suggested another odd superscription invented by some stranger in a far-off land and this was the wording of it mark twain somewhere try satan that stranger's trust was not misplaced satan courteously sent it along this morning's mail brings another of these novelties it comes from france from a young english girl and is addressed mark twain care of president roosevelt the white house washington america u s a it was not delayed but came straight along bearing the washington postmark of yesterday in a diary which mrs clemens kept for a little while a great many years ago i find various mentions of mrs harriet beecher stowe who was a near neighbor of ours in hartford with no fences between and in those days she made as much use of our grounds as of her own in pleasant weather her mind had decayed and she was a pathetic figure she wandered about all the day long in the care of a muscular irish woman among the colonists of our neighborhood the doors always stood open in pleasant weather mrs stowe entered them at her own free will and as she was always softly slippered and generally full of animal spirits she was able to deal in surprises and she liked to do it she would slip up behind a person who was deep in dreams and musings and fetch a war whoop that would jump that person out of his clothes and she had other moods sometimes we would hear gentle music in the drawing-room and would find her there at the piano singing ancient and melancholy songs with infinitely touching effect her husband old professor stowe was a picturesque figure he wore a broad slouch hat he was a large man and solemn his beard was white and thick and hung far down on his breast his nose was enlarged and broken up by a disease which made it look like a cauliflower 
The first time our little Susie ever saw him she encountered him on the street near our house and came flying wide-eyed to her mother and said, Santa Claus has got loose. End of section 33 Friday, March 23, 1906